great to be with you again and to see some new people. I've met some of you already. Come and say hi if we haven't actually met you after the meeting, if you've got time. It's great to be here. We have had the best time here with you, haven't we, Mike? <laughs> We've just so appreciated your love for us and for one another, your reception to the word of God and your hunger for him. It's been just wonderful to be a part of, of you here. We've we had a lovely time. For those of you who weren't able to um, come or listen yesterday, um, the word that the Lord gave my, Mike and myself for, for you as a body here is the word that he's teaching us about right now, which is blessing. And we've been talking about how the Lord himself, our Father God, loves to bless us. And he longs to bless us. We've been talking about how we are priests now in God's house with a, with a royal priesthood. And that we have been given this authority and this privilege to bless one another, to use our words in deliberate, purposeful blessing of one another. We can bless the Lord <laughs> as he blesses us. We can bless one another and we can bless everybody we come across. And uh, so we're going to be looking a bit more at, uh, at the blessing today. Um, but I just, um, before we get into the particular scriptures that um, we're talking about this morning, just wanted to remind us all that blessing, we particularly this weekend have been focusing on using our words to bless others and almost retraining ourselves to think and everybody we see, how can I bless that person? What is the Lord given me with his authority to impart to this person I meet through blessing them, through, through the words he gives me for them? But also, we bless people by what we do. <laughs> and I just wanted to remind us all of that, that we speak a blessing, but we live a blessing, and we do blessing as well. It's not just our words only. Otherwise, that becomes meaningless. And James himself said that, um, James chapter 2. Maybe we'll just actually look at this quickly. James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. If you have that, that would be great. Um, and he says here, James, he's very practical, isn't he, James? And he says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and stay well and eat well. <laughs> but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? And it's remarkable because what he's speaking about is actually giving a blessing, isn't it? Be warm, be well fed and doing nothing about it. So that is not what we're talking about. We are focusing on our words, but believing and what I know of you already, I believe you are a, 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 a real body who cares for people. But just, just to remember, blessing is, a, is in our doing as well as our speaking. Um, but this morning, the, uh, the word the Lord's given me to really focus on is about um, blessing and cursing. If you, want, if you take notes and you want a title, you can call this, Whatever Happened to the Curse? Whatever Happened to the Curse? <laughs> and um, you remember, in the, there's an extraordinary story, actually, in the Old Testament, when Moses was instructing the people, he knew that he was going to be taken up to heaven, that he, he wouldn't be going into the promised land with them. But um, it's okay. Don't worry too much about Moses. He didn't miss out too much because just the, the main thrust of his ministry was actually just happened to be after his death, when he was on a mountain with Jesus himself looking over the promised land that we have of the new covenant of God. That was the main focus of, of Moses' ministry. <laughs> but right here, he's preparing people to go into the physical promised land. And he, he said, when you get there, there's going to be two mountains. One's called Mount Gerizim and one's called Mount Ebal. And what I want you to do is half of you go up Gerizim and from the top, you're going to proclaim blessings on all, all the people. This was about the covenant. The old covenant was blessings if you obeyed God, but cursings if you didn't. So the other half of them had to go up on the other mountain, Mount Ebal. I hope if I had been there, I would have been a Gerizim person, not an Ebal person, but who knows? <laughs> and uh, they had to go up and proclaim curses over the people, which were part of the covenant. And you find that Joshua, who was the one who took them into the land, actually does, does this with the people. 
And it, it, it's where they get into the land and they're just re-establishing, they're establishing themselves in the old covenant and the word that Moses gave them. And it, it's such a picture, it must have been, to, to take part in that must have been so spectacular. It's kind of like, you know, you might have enjoyed the book, but wait till you see the movie. <laughs> this was actually just living action going on. And in between them are all the Levitical priests and they're there. Um, with the Ark of the Covenant, the very representation of God. So they did just what Moses told them. And um, these are some of the blessings Moses uh, had given them in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 3. I'm just going to read these, these to you quickly. But he said, Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds will be blessed. That's good news, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know who has herds here? Good news. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. And I think that just about covers everything in that, that amazing blessing, isn't it? And we can even learn from that blessing as we, as we put into practice with the authority we have to bless people some of these things. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be blessed. And then the cursings, I won't read those out because I don't really want to read curses out. <laughs> but it was more, more or less the opposite that, you know, if, if the people didn't obey the Lord of God, uh, the Lord of the word of the Lord, these things would go badly for them. And that was the that was the gist of the message, so to remind them of the covenant they'd made with God. They'd agreed to this with God as they took the, the promised land. So our question now is, Mike and I have been speaking all weekend about the blessing, 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 blessing of God. And so the question that I want to answer for us is, well, whatever happened to that curse? Whatever happened to that curse? And Mike and Hayes are just preaching a really soft message like, oh, bless them and, and don't, don't worry about things that aren't quite right, you know, if people have got sin in their lives. So that's all right, just bless them. No, that's not what we're saying. When, when people do have um, issues, um, sometimes they need help. Sometimes sin needs confronting. But I just say, um, go careful with that. <laughs> go careful with that. Um, it doesn't always go so well. I've been... a around a long time, <laughs> and uh, I found it doesn't always go well. But if you are so saturated in blessing, you're so saturated in blessing, and the people are saturated in blessing, and they know that the Father's heart is full of blessing, then how much easier it is to receive a word of redirection, of correction. And so these things, it's not that these things don't count, but it's just not done in a spirit of, curse. <laughs> um, so what happened to the curse? It's an easy answer. Jesus happened to the curse. <laughs> and I just want us to look at this because this blessing that we can freely experience from God and give to one another, it, it's freely given to us. It's freely given. But you know, it was bought at a very, very great price. This freedom to have a blessing was a, an enormous price. And that price was paid in full by Jesus on the cross. I, I absolutely love this beautiful cross you've got here. I just love it. I've just been gazing at it all weekend. I love that it's the center of your building. Just I've been thinking about, remember Paul said, I preach only Christ and him crucified. And so, you know, central, I know that central to you it's the cross of Christ. So I feel as, as we just look together at the sacrifice Jesus paid to take the curse away from us, I feel as if I'm just at the foot of the cross, of his cross, bringing you this world. Um, because Jesus took the curse upon himself that we can be free just to live in blessing. It's amazing. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn to Galatians chapter 3. And again, uh, this is New Living, I think. <laughs> um, and the verses 13 and 14. And Paul then is talking about exactly this. And he said, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. 
So all that stuff that happened on Mount Ebal, all those curses, what happened to them? What happened to them? Christ took them. He rescued us from all that cursing and all the bad things that might happen by dying for us on the cross. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. And I just remind you of that scripture, you know, in Isaiah 53 about, you know, he died for our sins. Oh, it's amazing. He took the curse upon himself for our wrongdoing, for it's written in the scriptures, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Through Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles. That's most of us, I think. A Gentile is just somebody who isn't a Jew. Um, with the same blessing, he he promised to Abraham. Well, if you hear yesterday, we looked at that, didn't we? What was the promise to Abraham? I will bless you, said the Lord. You will bless others. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. That, that was the blessing he promised Abraham. And it says here, we through Jesus, dying on the cross for us, have set us free to inherit that same promise. So when we're talking about, about um, reaching out <laughs> and blessing people, this is our inheritance that we've inherited to do that. So that we believers might receive the promised blessing of the Holy Spirit through faith. So suddenly, wow, Paul's up the ante here. It's about blessing, but it's also about the receiving of the Holy Spirit. So we've looked at how the Father and the Son bring blessing, but the Holy Spirit, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he brings the blessing of God to us, and he will work through us to bring powerful and effective blessing to other people. So um, the curse hasn't just been swept, swept under the rug. No, the curse was placed on Jesus and it was so, so costly for him to remove that curse from us. And so I just want us to spend a few minutes just looking at the scriptures about what Jesus actually did. You know, sometimes we, we can become over-familiar, can't we? You know, we can almost take it for granted because we, we, we say it all the time, don't we? Jesus died on the cross to save us. And it's really great to take time now and again just to soak in the scriptures. Um, a little while ago, I was, I was reading, um, I was going through a, a load of Christian biographies and I found that uh, ever such a lot of the pe people that we know as heroes of the faith began their real significant work by God, uh, for God by having a, a real encounter of the cross, of Jesus on the cross. So I'm inviting us to enter into an encounter with Jesus as we look at this. And we're actually going to look at what happened to Jesus before he even was hung on the cross. Um, you know, after the Passover, they went across um, to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. And then he was arrested because one of his beloved disciples, Judas, betrayed him. And then overnight, before they put him on the cross, he went through five trials. There were two Jewish trials and there were three Roman trials. There was the old high priest and then the whole group of the Jewish religious leaders called the Sanhedrin put him on trial. And then they handed him over to the Romans um, because the Romans were the only ones who could actually crucify Jesus. That was the most shameful possible death at the time. And they wanted that for Jesus. They were so jealous of everybody running after him. And um, so he went through these trials and all through them, each trial, he began to suffer the abuse. He began to take the results of the curse upon himself. It says he was, they spat in his face. They beat him with his fist. They mocked him. Oh, prophesy to us if you're the Messiah. Who hit you that time? Um, but it's interesting because when he's thrown over to the Romans, and you remember Pilate um, had him, sent him off to Herod. Herod sent him back to Pilate. So he ended up in three trials with the Romans. But the Roman soldiers mocked Jesus as a king. And as you read the account, it's amazing how you see that Jesus actually it's, it's the king. He's, he didn't die as a martyr having his life snatched from him. He is the king who laid his life down 
in order to set us free from the curse. Incredible thing he did. So if you'd like to follow along, we're going to be looking in Matthew 27. And we're going to start at 22. And again, this is New Living, this one. Matthew 27 and verse 22. So he's back to Pilate at this point. And um, the crowd had been shouting. Pilate wanted to release Jesus, but the crowd, the uh, religious leaders had whipped them up to say, oh, don't release Jesus, release Barabbas. So Pilate responded, what then should I do with Jesus, who's called the Messiah? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why, demanded Pilate, what crime has he committed? But the mob just roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we'll take the responsibility for his death. We and our children. What, what a terrible thing to do to their children, eh? To just take that. You know, they were so whipped up. But it's interesting, here we see Pilate washing his hands, and just last night, there was another bowl of water, wasn't there, just last night? There was a bowl of water that Jesus took, and with that bowl of water, he washed the feet of all his disciples. What a difference in the use of a bowl of water. He, washing his feet, he's getting ready to serve them, and the, the greatest way he could serve them, he was preparing them that he was going to serve them by even light laying down his his life for them okay let's just keep reading so Pilate released we're in verse 26 Pilate released Barabbas to them and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip then turned over to the Roman soldiers for for crucifixion so here he is with more abuse um, more torture coming upon him that lead-tipped whip People would often die just of going under that, that whip. It was an absolute instrument of torture. Verse 27, some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus to their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. So they were doing it in mockery, but actually he was the king. That was the, the, the royal robe, that they put the royal robe as almost a prophetic sign, because Jesus is the King of Kings. They dressed him in mockery, in a, in a royal robe. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a, a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and they grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. And then they led him away to be crucified. But I just want to look a minute at that crown of thorns that he he wore. And um, we were looking um, a little bit yesterday in Genesis and uh, the beginnings there. And back in Genesis, during the fall... In Genesis 3, verse 17, the curse came, and the curse came on the ground, and the curse was, the ground is cursed because of you. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. So that was the curse that happened to the very land. Thorns and thistles grew. So those soldiers, in taking up from the ground the thistles and weaving a crown with them, were actually taking the curse and putting the curse on Jesus' head. And you can imagine this man, he's bloodied, he's bruised, he's beaten. And you can imagine them pressing down that crown on his head. And you can imagine the blood running down his head because of the thorns going in. But he's taken the curse that affected us and everybody who lived and even the very land. And he's putting that on his head. And he's crowned king by dying for us. It's, it's an incredible image. So he's literally taking the curse upon him when he goes on the cross. And it's in order that we get set free. I think Daryl read from us earlier that he crowns us in that psalm he read. He, Jesus crowns us with tender mercies and loving kindness. 
And he can do that. He can put a crown of blessing on us because he took the crown of, of cursing on his own head and beat the enemy by his death on the cross. Um, the reason when he took the, the, the cup, um, when he, he took the crown of thorns, he could do this because he'd done real business already with his father when he'd been in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that very moving bit about how he prayed and he went apart from his disciples because they couldn't do this prayer with him. Only Jesus could, could, could lay down his life and save the world. And he prayed and he, he prayed and he, if it's possible, Lord, take this cup, this cup of suffering I'm about to endure, take it from me. And then he comes back and said, it's as if he's realizing, yes, I'm going to go through this. And he says, if it's not possible, then your will be done, O Lord. And he, he, he's so stressed. It says he's almost at the point of death. And that great drops of blood are coming from his, his forehead as he's just in that pressure, doing business with God, but saying, yes, your will be done. I will do this for you. I will take this curse upon myself. I will set my people free to love you. And um, there's, um, it was only Jesus, you see, who could have this cup of suffering. And there's an old hymn, and again, I will really bless you by not singing it. <laughs> but the words of it, and there's a very old hymn, and it said, that bitter cup, love drank it up. Now blessings cup for me. You see Jesus took it all on himself so that the cup of blessing is, is what we, we have. When we drink our cup, it's a cup of blessing because Jesus drank up that cup, for, that cup of suffering. So because of that, we have blessing from God. He's taken away everything that could hinder us. He's provided the forgiveness from all our sins. So there's nothing hindering our relationship with God now. It's just one of blessing. You're welcome into the presence of God. You're welcome there. You can revel in being blessed of God. He just delights in you when you come into his presence because he's paid the price to set you free. You don't have to linger outside his courts wondering if you're clean enough or good enough. Jesus has paid it all to give you access into his blessing. And then as he blesses you, you can freely pour out blessing on everybody that uh, you come across because he's blessed us so greatly by that death on the cross. So bless you, Jesus, for all you did for us. And that still, oh, still sets us free every single day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Mike's going to come and share now. Thank you, Hazel. It's so moving, isn't it, to see the cost endured by Jesus. And it's not a religious thing. It's not seasons of the year. It's... It's a real life lived and, and uh, terrible suffering taken on our behalf in order that the curse, uh, as well as our sins, might be taken away righteously before God. And um, just makes you love Jesus all the more. We've been talking about blessing. Um, said, uh, we, when Jesus comes to us, he always wants to help us grow to be more and more like himself. That uh, those who say they live in God must live as Jesus lived. And uh, that's what the Holy Spirit constantly does. It, it's exciting when he teaches us how to prophesy and how to lay hands on the sick and, and, and how to preach the word with passion. It's, it's exciting when he does all those things. But remember that the real purpose of God is to exalt his son and all the Christians, men and women, uh, who start to look more and more like him, who live as Jesus lived. There's a lovely passage, which I didn't quite get to last night. It's Colossians 3, 13 and 14. It's from the New Living Translation, this one. And um, it, it shows the, uh, the, the, the goal of, of Jesus in our lives, the goal of the Holy Spirit. Um, so we mustn't get lost in, in some small things, but give ourselves to the big things, to the purpose of God, to fill the earth with people that look just like his son, in order that his son might be lifted up and God the Father might be glorified in it. But uh, this is what the scriptures say, and, and uh, it's, it's um, in, in the words of, of commandment, and yet um, so beautifully commanded to be like Jesus. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, 
You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. People often sort of say, well, you can't make me love someone. You can't make me be a patient person when I'm really, you know, quite an impatient person. You, you, you can't just tell me to change like that and have it happen. Yes, he can. He's, he's put a new heart within us, given us of his own Holy Spirit. He's given us the mind of Christ. He, we are new people. We are a whole new creation. All things have passed away. Don't hang on to old things when they're trying to pass away. <laughs> you know, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't grip hold of things that uh, maybe worked 30 years ago and haven't really worked very well since, but we hold on to them because that's what we're familiar with. Uh, let these things pass away. But, but this scripture says, no, what you do is you, you, you receive the blessings of God and you receive Jesus and all that he has done and then you clothe yourself. Isn't that great? That's so much better than gritting your teeth or trying to think hard or to trying to be patient. You ever tried really hard to be patient? Often the, the very reverse happens. But he says, clothe yourself. Now really this scripture is saying, clothe yourselves with Jesus. Put him on like a garment and uh, look like him. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Uh, forgive anyone who offends you. Uh, forgive that you might be forgiven. Forgive because you have been forgiven. Let that motivation of what Christ has done in us stir us up to be Christ-like towards others. To feel comfortable that Christ has forgiven us and then to be unforgiving towards others is a travesty of the gospel. Um, you know, it's like the story of the man um, who was forgiven, you know, a, a great debt and that yet refused to forgive the debts of others towards him. Um, you see real anger in the scriptures because he didn't clothe himself with a, themselves with the very thing that God had done for them. And so we have to clothe ourselves in these things. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. My whole morning, yesterday morning, was um, this is what, what we, we do. We love God with all our heart and soul and mind and body. We love each other in a way that Jesus says is equally important. Um, it's not enough to say we love God and then hate our brothers. You just can't do that. You've got to love God and love each other. It says love the poor, uh, love the community, love the whole world. Not in the way of falling to its traps and its treasures, but to love the people of the world, lost in sin, so far from God, so many, uh, but to love them as our motivation, not to rebuke or to judge can do that inside the church but not outside but to love the world as Christ loved above all clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful that's how we are to be and we are to do it by putting on Christ like a garment by by um, saying oh God I live for you and I live to show the life of Christ in me uh, it'd be lovely if people felt that they were meeting Jesus when they come and meet the people of the church. Um, they know we're not Jesus, and Jesus knows that very well, and so do we. But to find people that are just like him, who have been so affected by their new birth and by the work of God in them, who have been so affected by the presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, not just stirred up to speak in other languages, but stirred up to pour out love and blessing, patience, kindness, and forgiveness, and to love that idea of all being members of one body. Um, my nation in Canada is fairly fractured right now. Um, we're dual citizens of Britain still, and uh, that nation is fairly fractured now. Um, people sort of you know, saying opposite things, voting opposite ways, um, north versus south, rich versus poor, you know, unionized against sort of uh, privileged people. Um, some of them are deeply historical things, especially in Britain. Um, but but our, our, our nations are fractured. And yet Jesus came, and your gospel is that he came so that we who were many can be one body. Isn't that what we rejoice over? Every time we come to the table of the Lord, we think, oh God, you sent your own son Jesus that, he, that his body might be broken so that our body might not. That our nation might be united, that people might love each other. Um, the gentleness and strength and forgiveness and mercy might be the things that, that make us a strong people again. So pray for Canada. 
pray for, for, for Britain. We, we, we'll all pray for each other's nations. If you're from somewhere else, God bless that nation too. But the whole point of Christ's coming was to a fractured, divided world who had been separated from the love of God and separated very much from the love of each other. And that's what he came to mend. That's what he came to save us from. So um, uh, do these things as we are like Christ and love the fact that Christ's work on the cross was true, that the, the declaration uh, from the breaking of bread that we were many, but now we are one body has worked. Give glory to Jesus that though that was a terrible thing that he had to go through, that it was worth it because he has made many into one body. Um, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Um, my prayer has become, nothing can separate me from the love of God and nothing can separate me from the love of my brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, I just think that that's reflecting of the thing that Jesus said were um, the two most important things, to love God and to love each other. Um, I think it's so important to, to be strong in, in, in the big things. And when those were the passion of Jesus, when those things were the goal of Jesus, then let them be our passion too. To never let anything separate us from the love of God. If you're wavering a bit in your faith, if you're wondering whether it's all worth it, if you really you know, love the pre-pre-pre-game for the, the football league on a Sunday morning, um, more than coming to church. If you're just starting to wobble a little and, and wonder a little, I just want to strengthen you in God. Let nothing separate you from your pursuit of Jesus. Nothing separate you from the love of God because he is real and he is mighty and is blessing us. And equally with just the same strength, let nothing separate you from your brothers and sisters, whether it's in the world um, or in the United States of America or whether you're gonna be praying for, for Canada and, and England and Wales now that you've met us to, to see the work of God established in every way. Um, I just wanted to finish um, uh, with uh, a word which will lead me to, I just want to bless you before we go. I'm sure Hazel does too, and to speak it out. But I felt what God gave me for this morning mostly um, was for the church. And that was, open your arms to receive Jesus. You know, the Bible says that if we just receive him, say, yes, God has sent his son. There he is. Jesus, come into my life. That's how we get saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord um, it can be saved. That, that's how he set it up. He didn't expect, um, uh, you know, us to buy a ticket. He didn't expect us to earn the right by being holy. He didn't come to perfect people doing everything well. He came to a people who were lost and needy and who only had hope in Jesus because they'd lost all hope in their own ability, say, to keep the law or to live perfectly and not be guilty of anything. They'd, they'd given up, really, on being able to get, climb the mountain on their own. They'd given up the thought that they could get into heaven uh, where, where the angels would say, oh, yes, you, you were a good one, and you were a good one, and you were a great one. We've given up on all of that as we've acknowledged our sin before the Lord and our need of him. And uh, so it's important that we open our hearts and our minds and our arms wide to receive Jesus and everything that he has done for us every blessing that he has given us so if we're continuing the theme of blessing I, I felt on my own heart today to be sure that everyone in the room knew that we are to receive every blessing that Jesus gives to us and not turn away from it it's a wonderful thing that God sets a table full of great food in the very presence of our enemies um, it's awful to sit down and say I'm not worthy to eat this <laughs> You see the blessing of God spread out, and you think, oh, but, you know, let others eat it. I'm not worthy. It, 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 it sounds like humility, but it's just not eating from the table of the Lord when he's spread it out for you. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be an awful thing? Um, uh, it's important to, to not just see the blessings of God and read about the blessings of God, but to open our hearts and say, Lord, whatever you've given to me, I know I need. If you've given it to me, then I know it's vital for me. And I'm going to eat the good food of the Lord. I'm going to come before him. Um, I was just struck by Romans 5, um, uh, the first two verses uh, recently. You know, sometimes you get into the scriptures and, and you think, I'm going to try and read through a whole book every day. And, but sometimes you get to a verse and it just stops you dead. You know, and you, th and you say, you know, what are you reading at the moment, brother? Or Romans 5, 1 and 2. And you ask me a month later, what are you reading now, brother? Romans 5, 1 and 2. You know what, what it feels like. <laughs> you know, I can say, yeah, that happens. Where you get so gripped by a verse that God is speaking to you through. And I was in this one for uh, a number of weeks. 
In the New Living Translation, it says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. It's always Jesus. It's always what he has done that stirs us and helps us and excites us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Isn't that wonderful? I know you're not saying anything, but inside I can hear you shouting, read that again, brother, read that again. So I will. Shh, calm, calm down. We'll read it again. But it's just so extraordinary, it's just so lovely to see that. Because of our faith in Christ, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory, to living a life where we can see the glory of God where you come into meetings and you can't stand up because of the glory of God, where you pray for people and you know it's still you praying and it's still the same hand that has prayed for so many and suddenly the glory of God comes into the room and, you, and, and, and he shares it with you, he lets you see his glory and, and his glory touches a body, touches a mind, sets them free. He is a wonderful God. But he has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing uh, God's glory. So what God told me to, to, well, no, that's not true. I can't say what God gave me to say to you. The truth is, this is what he said to me. This, this is what I needed to hear. Um, he said, sometimes we read it as if it says um, that Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved. And it's as if he stopped there. And, and, and we, we see that, you know, sometimes on computers you can run a little program that says what the, the most used words are and then the ones used most often are biggest on the screen and the words you hardly use are small and in the corner. And it's as if we read the scripture and the biggest word that hits us is the word undeserved. Now, now don't get me wrong, I know I don't deserve anything of the goodness that God gives me. It's all by his faith and by his grace. Um, no one is actually confused to think, oh, I bet Mike deserves this blessing from God. He seems like a nice guy, great shirt, you know, you know we like this guy. Um, I'm sure he deserves it. No, I, I don't deserve it. And I'm not at all confused to think that you are here because you deserve the goodness of God and his love. Um, I, I know that we're all convinced of this. And generally with our kinds of background, we have been convinced of this for, for all our lives. That what God gives, he gives freely and in grace but it's undeserved, unearned by us. Can I just say, if we already know that, then let's move on. Because sometimes I have found people, and I think there are one or two in this church, you struggle to accept all the goodness and the love and the forgiveness and the mercy that God is showing you because you don't think you deserve it. You sit at a table that's spread with a feast that God has given to, to so we can uh, eat together, and you say, no, I, I don't deserve that. We know you don't deserve it. Get on and eat it. Get on and accept it. Get on and receive it. You've got Jesus by opening your arms and receiving him in. Um, don't make him leave all of his luggage at the door. You know, he's got things to bring into our lives that we, we so need as well. And so don't read this as if undeserved was in giant capitals. We already knew that about ourselves and we already knew that about the mighty nature of Jesus. But you can read it this way remembering how undeserving we are, of course, but we can read it, you know, being sure that, that Jesus is who he says he is, we can read it, Christ has brought us into this place of privilege. Now, I'm, I'm talking to people who are saying, well, I would think so too, we are great people, you know, you should have, he should have brought us more. None of you, there's no one like that in this room. We know it's all the grace of God. So now I can read it safely, without thinking I'm going to get a big head on my shoulders, I can read it safely, knowing the work of Christ on which we depend, and say Christ has brought us into a place of privilege, a special place. Is that okay? This is where I wish I was nearer the door than, 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 than my audience, but yeah, you know, too late for that. But it's a place of privilege. It's a place of blessing. It's a place of mercy. I've been a pastor for quite a long time now, um, I'm not going to tell you how long, but, but I've been a pastor for quite a long time now. And the number of people I meet who struggle with guilt about their past, things that they have said and done in the past, um, sins that they think are just too much even for the cross. People who say, if you knew, if God only knew what I have done in the past, you'd never have let me in. 
And they genuinely believe that, and they are trapped in their darkness. Do you know, the writer to the Hebrews says that the old covenant is, um, sorry, my phrase, past its sell-by date. It's obsolete. It's falling apart. It's broken. It never did help any of us. Rather than separating us from our sin, all it did in the end was remind us of our sin on an annual basis. That's all it did. Because if it was effective, if it worked, then we wouldn't feel guilty anymore. If the old covenant had worked, then all of our guilt would be removed and the sacrifices could have stopped. But they kept on reminding us again and again and again until Jesus came. And the crown of cursing, the crown of thorns placed upon his head, becoming sin for us, even the Father turning away from us, shedding his blood, his blood and the water around his heart and it fell to the ground and, and, and he did all of that to bring us into a place of favor with God, reconciling us to him. And uh, that separated us forever from our past. When you were baptized in water, do you know that's what it was about? When you were immersed in water, it wasn't just because that's the way this church does it. It was because it looks like a burial, a burial of an old life, remembering the tomb. We were buried with him. Down your body goes. It's always very important not to have too forgetful a pastor, somebody who remembers to bring you back up again, um, because up you come then to resurrection life, but the old life stays at the bottom. I've seen people healed in baptism. I've seen people set free um, from... Sorry, I'm wandering away from the camera, aren't I? Hello. (laughs) I've seen people... I I saw one young woman who went into uh, the, the, the river a very cold river in in Wales, and she was deaf in one ear, and when she came back up, she wasn't. Her hearing had been restored. It's not what baptism is about, but it is about leaving behind of the old life, and she left behind her deaf ear. Others have left behind their addictions. Others have left behind their sadness. Others have left behind their troubles, believing that God is able to do that. So if if that's you, if if you still struggle with the fact that you are so undeserving and so unlovely that even God couldn't possibly love you if he only understood, I want to tell you, open your arms to Jesus and let him in, but open your arms to his mercy too. Open your arms to his forgiveness. Open your minds to the thought that uh, God chooses to remember our sins no more. (laughs) Deliberate choice of God. That's not what this is about, but he's able to completely deliver us and make us to be brand new people. It's an extraordinary thing that God has done. Let all those blessings flow in. So try and and make yourself do that if you can, if you don't think I'm um, too far off track here, to say, thank you, Jesus, that because of my faith in you, you've brought me to a place of amazing privilege. And I'm going to enjoy it and live in it because it costs you so much. I'm going to not reject an ounce of it out of a kind of a false humility. I'm not going to push that away because this is what you have done. You have made me into a child of God. It wasn't what I decided. It wasn't what my parents decided. It wasn't what man decided. But God himself has decided. Get that Mike Nicholson and let's, let's really do everything uh, for him because he needs the saving power of God and the love of God. Let's, let's, let's not just polish him. Let's not give him a second chance because he just messed that one up as badly as the first. <laughs> give him a new life. Make him a new creation. Amen. Pour out my spirit on him. You know, no one can understand what he says half the time. So give him the gift of tongues so at least he can be speaking the word of God. Open his heart and his mind. Draw him ever on. Mature him, you know. The purpose of Ephesians 4 ministries is um, not to be super bosses, but to be people who bring the church to maturity by working together in those different giftings. Isn't that extraordinary? That God doesn't rejoice in a new birth, but in a maturing, growing church, getting wiser and stronger, more loving and more kind, but mostly by letting him in completely. I'll finish with this. Um, It's uh, from the message. I don't know if any of you have ever used the message. I'd be very impressed with the desk if they have the message there to, to pull up. Same chapter, uh, same chapter and verse. Um, it, it's, it's one of those um, lovely Bibles that's more commentary than Bible. So it's fairly famous. You know, you get five words in the Greek and they become 27 words so, <laughs> sort of in English. So it's more a commentary. It's a reaction as well. Uh, but I was just reading it when I got stuck in Romans. You know, sometimes you just compare versions. That's always a very good thing to do. 
Um, there are many good versions of the Bible. Try not to get stuck on one. Try and open others now and again and to be uh, refreshed. And, and, and uh, sometimes you read scriptures that we've almost got too familiar with. And it's just wonderful to see um, other translations of that. Um, so it, it's, it's important to do that. God hasn't authorized any particular version. And none of them are the original version. But, but these are godly uh, documents by, by godly people who give us a fuller idea of what the word can be translated in. But the message, as I say, isn't one that you'd build your life on or too many sermons, because um, it uh, adds too much to uh, the words that are originally there. But it just something struck me from this translation, and this might be just me, not you, but I just want to explain how God spoke it to me, because maybe God will speak it to someone else as we come to a close. It says, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him, we have it all together. That doesn't sound like... Greek too much does it at all. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he's already thrown open his doors to us. Maybe not a great translation, but that just touched my heart. It did. It just, it just, it helped me, you know. Um, I, I remember not to build my doctrine on that, but, but, I, but I was encouraged in my life by that. You throw your doors open to God only to find that he's just thrown open his doors to you. Has that ever happened, that kind of thing, to anybody? Where you finally sort of repented and come to God to find him there with his arms wide open, you know, and the return of the prodigal. You know, I'm going to get in trouble. They're going to beat me up. They're going to crush me. I'm going to be painting fences for the next 30 years to make up for this. And there suddenly is dad standing on the hill with his arms wide apart. You know, you know kill the, 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 the cow, the, the, the big one. You know, bring a ring, the best one. You know, bring a robe, let's dress him. You know, and that, that again is just uh, a picture of us uh, clothing ourselves in Christ, clothing ourselves in righteousness, if you like. But there is a very different response from the one that he thought he'd get. And it's a glorious thing to throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he's already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing, and this is the one that went right to my heart, um, hope it goes to yours, but it went straight to my heart. It says, we find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand. Out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. That's the message opening to Romans 5. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand. And do you know what God said to me about this? And I don't know if you'll find this difficult or not, but uh, there are many churches, many great churches, that encourage the thought of breakthrough. Are you, are you, have you got your breakthrough in God? And um, no huge problem with that, although it's not something um, where I sort of, uh, you know, really um, stand myself on the idea of waiting for a breakthrough. And it's for this reason. God so loved the world, including me, that he sent his beloved son, Jesus, who gave his life and who brought good news to the poor, who spent the best part of three years ministering to people, healing all that were sick, um, seeking and saving the lost, being good news for the poor, having some fights with uh, people in power and, and people who had money. Um, but the poor loved him. But he came and then they took him and they nailed him to a cross and he shed his blood and gave his life, taking the curse with him, taking away all the burdens on our shoulders, giving us just a light burden to share with him as we are yoked together with Christ. He did all that, and I still need a breakthrough. And that's how it struck me. So, yes, pastors, even pastors who've been around for a little while, do get absolutely flawed by the word of God sometimes. You have to know that. If you come thinking, oh, Mike looks old, they tell me as a pastor, he'll know everything. No, not really. Um, God is still capable of absolutely flooring me. And that's what he said to me about, about this uh, idea, that, that he has, through all of this effort and this cross, put us all in exactly the place where we always hoped we would stand. He did all of that that I've just described. And the thought that I'd be standing there waiting for a breakthrough suddenly became offensive to me. It, it just, uh, you know, denial of all that God had done. And I thought, I stand wherever Christ has put me to stand. I got saved by him grabbing me by the back of the neck and pulling me out of the kingdom of darkness and putting me down in the kingdom of his beloved son, kingdom of light. Uh, there was no bridge for me to walk over to get there. 
No sort of, you know, rule book that if I kept all the rules, that that would get me there. Nothing. There was no way except he picked me up and put me down. And so I've come to believe that I don't want to wait for a breakthrough because I'm not sure how many years I've got left to wait. And I know an awful lot of people who have been waiting for their breakthrough for decades. And they're still faithful, godly people. You know, I'm an older man, so I can get away with this. Gray hair, not walking quite <laughs> as well as they used to. Yes, I know I don't have gray hair. It falls out before it turns gray. But still, you, you get my point. But where we seem to be passing our life waiting and waiting for breakthrough. Seek God with all your heart. Seek God with all the passion and fire in your heart. Seek God with every ounce of strength you've got. Do it with your mind and your body and with your spirit and with your soul, just like he says. Seek God and love him. Be hungry and thirsty for him. It's a dreadful moment when you lose your appetite. When older people stop eating or even stop drinking, it's a sign that the end has come. But we have not lost our appetite, have we? We have not lost our thirst or our need of God. But stand content wherever Jesus has put you and say, glory to God that you've taken me right into the center. I followed Jesus who was carrying his own blood into the very holy of holies, passing through the torn curtain that was his body. It's an extraordinary thing. And in that way, we don't give glory to the breakthrough we give glory to Jesus who brought us in so you don't have to accept that you might think differently on that and that's fine you will still go to heaven and I will still love you and and it, you know it may not be right for you but but if it helps you to stop waiting for a breakthrough before you can uh, get on with things if it leaves you just waiting on God <laughs> then you're in a good place but don't wait for a breakthrough that's going to fill in what was missing in the cross of Christ there was nothing missing in the cross of Christ. I wonder if you'd uh, stand with me. I just want to finish. I, I feel today just to um, speak a blessing that's in my heart over you, if, if I may. Hazel, if you feel stirred and want to come, you're very welcome to join me. But God's just shown me a few things which I'd like to share. And then it'd be lovely if after that we can uh, finish by worshipping God together. Thank you again, beautiful worship team, for all you lead us into. But first of all, if, if you are one of those who can't quite escape the weight of your past and you still feel guilty, the old covenant could do nothing about it. Jesus can and does do everything about that. There is therefore now no guilt, no condemnation, no accountability for the past because he has dealt with our sins and taken them on the cross. But if that's you, I just want to pray a blessing over you that you will remember your water baptism. If you have not been baptized in water by immersion since you believed, I would suggest to you that you grab one of the elders and refuse to go home until they arrange that for you. Be separated from the past. No army will catch you and pull you back in. Jesus has set you free from your past. So I just bless you with freedom from guilt and freedom from the past. I just bless you with an ability in your minds to see how silly it is to think that you're too much of a sinner for that mighty cross of Christ. I want you to laugh at yourself a little in that. I know I was bad and I wish I hadn't done or said those things, but the cross is mightier, even than my sin. Glory to God. It takes away the sins of the whole earth, <laughs> this, this perfect Lamb of God. But I bless you with a freedom to laugh at yourself in that that of course Christ and God's love and the cross of Christ is bigger even than those things that have troubled you I just want to bless you whole church that God has shown me that his blessing will come on you so that the old will be blessed and mighty and that young men and women will be blessed and mighty and that the old and the young will turn and bless each other uh, I find a great respect and love among everyone I've talked to for the, the leaders of the church, and that's good. But again, as an older man, you'll, you'll, you'll I hope, let me speak to you, uh, you know, brothers, sisters, who've uh, been here a long time, and you, you've done so well and shared so much, that you are pillars of the church. And sometimes a, a pillar can be somebody that truly holds up the work of God and prays for it and loves it and blesses it. 
sometimes a pillar of the church can be the thing that you can't see the front because you're sitting behind a pillar of the church. <laughs> they can almost seem to be in your way and blocking. I just say the blessing of God is this, that old and young will bless each other and both will feel free and released. Young men, young women, full of faith, full of the word of God, hearing things your parents did not and wondering what to do with those things. You don't want to offend any of them. You love them so much, but you don't want to hold it back either. What are you to do? Follow after the leading of the Holy Spirit with mighty love in your heart for both your elders and for Jesus and do whatever Jesus gives you to do. Um, young and old help each other. Make way for each other. Honor each other. Thanks be to God for Caleb. Help me if I get this wrong. How old was he when he got out of the problem? Was he 85? And he said, I'm as strong and as vigorous and as passionate about God as I was 40 years ago. I'm one that got out of the desert. What do you want? Give me that city. Which one? The big one. Give me that city. You know, Glory to God for Caleb. But glory to God also for David, who wasn't even considered worth bringing into view when they were looking for a king. They looked at all the tall, strong, muscly, handsome ones. I'd have done quite well, probably, in that competition. But, but, you, know, but, but you know, you look one after another, and, and, and where's, where's David? Young David, who's proved his heart at such a young time. Brothers and sisters, remember how old you were when people first gave you responsibility and encouraged you to follow after God with all your heart and give that blessing to the young ones here. Young men, young women, honor and bless your elders, your parents. But let that be something that drives you on in the things that God is showing you, not something that holds you back. I feel that's probably the most important thing I can say in terms of what I feel God has given me to bless here. You are such extraordinary people. I've been around a few churches now in my time, and I'm not given to flattery because that just makes things worse rather than better. But I say you've got extraordinary people in this church of all ages. Um, and you need each other even more than you think. So encourage each other in God. There's uh, only just enough people here to do the task that God has for you, to reach into your community, into your country, into the world. And the passion that you've shown to other countries, many of you, is now, I believe, being directed back to your own and to my country and to nations around the world to be stirred by that love for the people that stirred God to send his son. Isn't he a good God? Hazel. The Lord is sending showers of blessing upon you here. The Lord is sending showers of blessing. Some of those showers are coming directly from the Lord from heaven. Some of those showers are, are what you produce yourselves among yourselves. You become showers of blessing to each other as you bless each other. And the Lord said this to me. As the showers of blessing fall, seeds that have fallen into the ground a long time ago that you maybe thought were dead and gone are suddenly going to flourish. So don't work on the seed trying to make it flourish. Work on the showers of blessing. Because showers of blessing come upon you from the Lord and the seeds that fell into the ground long ago are suddenly bursting into life and bearing great fruit among you, you blessed people of God. Amen. Is there someone, anyone here at all, who feels that they have not had their best year in Christ, in, in spiritual uh, life, and you just felt stirred enough today by the word of God and the blessings of God to want to tell God you're, you're coming back, you're, you're returning to the path? that you've been a little bit away in your heart. Maybe you've done enough to look fine to other people, but in your own heart, you know that you've been uh, further from God than you meant to be. If that's you and you're just telling God, I'm, I'm coming back, Lord, bless me, then just raise your hand, not wanting to embarrass anybody. 
Yeah. 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 Don't worry too much. Life is hard. <laughs> Things are tough. <laughs> and um, uh, the Lord sees your heart and just blesses you. I'll bless the whole back row. <laughs> uh, that God accepts you and loves you and treasures you and uh, feels so much better about you sometimes than you do about yourselves. But the Lord blesses you. Look after each other. Love each other. And the Lord sees your heart and he'll refresh you. He'll refresh you every day. Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you. And the Lord keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. You ever come home, you ever come to church and being greeted by a shining face? Someone who's just thrilled to see you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. You thought he was mad at you and you find that his face is shining on you. You thought that God had finally said, that's it. I am going to go back to crushing now. <laughs> you know, no. His face is shining upon you. The love of God is towards you. And the Lord bless you and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name. Let's just stay where we are and worship God. Just give over that time to that.